0: Welcome, everybody, to the National Fragile X Foundation's webinar on Clinical Trials 101. Uh, We are pleased uh, to have some experts on clinical trials today with us to answer some some very fundamental questions about the clinical trial process. Uh, Before we do that, I want to thank Warren Global Conferencing uh, that is hosting this call. Warren Global Conferencing is committed to the support of the National Fragile X Foundation and the Fragile X Cause. You can learn more at warrenconferencing.com. Welcome, everybody. Uh, And I'd like, uh, we have three very special guests with us today, uh, and I'm going to introduce them uh, each by name and have them briefly tell us a little bit about who they are uh, before we uh, get into our conversation. So uh, Dr. Paul Wong, you
1: first. Hi, Robbie. Uh, thanks very much for this opportunity to talk about clinical trials. I'm a developmental pediatrician. Uh, I've been working in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry for about 10 years, uh, first at Pfizer and now at Seaside Therapeutics. Uh, I'm currently in charge of clinical development at Seaside. Uh, before I entered the pharmaceutical world, I worked in academics and actually saw many patients uh, with genetic syndromes, uh, with autism, with intellectual
0: disabilities, and other disorders. Thank you. Our next guest, uh, Dr. Irini Wasif. Oh,
2: my, yes, my name is Irini Wassif. I am a pharmacist by training. I've been working in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, first at Janssen, which is a part of Johnson & Johnson, and now at Hoffman-Laroche. Uh, for over 10 years. I've done research in a number of different disorders. Um, Some of them include autism and uh, Fragile X.
0: Thank you. And last, uh, Dr. Marla Hochfeld. Did I say that correctly, Marla?
3: Yes, you did. Thank you. Again, thank you for the opportunity for allowing us to talk about um, clinical trials. Uh, I am a physician uh, and with a specialty in rheumatology have been in the pharmaceutical industry for about 13 years in a variety of different companies, large, medium, and small-sized companies, and most recently um, at Novartis for about three years where I am responsible for the uh, neurology and psychiatry uh, disease area, and uh, most recently focusing on um, fragile X syndrome and some other um, Uh, neurological and and psychiatric uh, disorders.
0: Thank you. Um, So before we begin, I want our listeners to understand that this conversation is about clinical trials in general. Uh, We will not be talking uh, today about uh, preliminary outcomes of any particular trial or drug or company or even hope for outcomes, though we do hope to do so on future webinars. So I'm going to be asking some questions of, of, of our esteemed guests here, and um, I hope that uh, all of you will join in the answers. I'll direct a uh, uh, question first to one of you by name, but I hope everybody will answer. And um, so uh, the first question is, uh, I'm going to direct to you, Paul. Um, what is a clinical trial? What makes a clinical trial clinical? Yeah, a
1: great starting point, Robbie. Uh, a clinical trial is basically a type of research study uh, and the reason it's clinical or the reason we call it clinical is that it's a research study involving actual patients involving real people and so obviously in that way it's different than research involving mice or research just involving cells or molecules that happen in a laboratory a clinical trial is, is a study in people specifically to see the effects of uh, medications or other interventions so actually the term clinical trial could apply to some sort of behavioral or e- educational intervention, but I think today we're concentrating really on clinical trials of medications, potential new medications or existing medications uh, that are being studied in new new kinds of context, new kinds of patients, or for new uses. Mm-hmm. So I think um, one really key point about clinical trials uh, is that even, it involve, even though it involves a patient, a doctor, and a medication, it's very different uh, from Routine medical care uh, that a patient with fragile X or any other patient would be getting from the doctor that they know. So first of all, uh, they might be uh, a patient with fragile X might be participating uh, in a clinical trial of a new medication with a doctor who they have never met before. Uh, it's definitely possible that some of them will be participating with doctors who they already know, who uh, who have been taking care of them for years. But it's also possible that it could involve a doctor who they don't know. Um, A second really important aspect, I think, is that a a clinical trial has to follow a a very uh, well-described protocol about what can and can't be done in the trial and also when it should be done. So in that way, it's really different from regular clinical care that you get from a doctor, where, of course, the doctor has the flexibility to do whatever they think is really in the patient's best interest. Uh, the clinical trial has to follow a particular protocol uh, which has been you know, written down and specified at the very beginning of the trial and which is agreed upon uh, by everybody who's involved in the trial, not only the one doctor who's seeing that particular patient, but other doctors around the country or around the world who are all participating in the clinical trial. Um, and so in order to really determine in a rigorous way what the effects of the medication are, uh, whether it helps, whether it has side effects, uh, it's really important to follow the protocol closely. Um, and if, if it is not in the patient's best interest uh, to continue according to the rig- rigorous protocol, then really uh, they, ha- they should probably uh, be uh, be dropping out of the clinical trial. Um, and, and so the, the other point I, that I just want to make, and I've sort of hinted at it, is that clinical trials are generally done to help show whether a drug is safe and effective for use in a particular kind of patient for a particular purpose. Um, and, and certainly I think that, that's where the interest of the Fragile X community is now, uh, to, to determine uh, whether various medications uh, are safe in people with Fragile X of a certain age when they're dosed in a certain way uh, and whether they have benefits uh, on certain kinds of, uh, symptoms of fragile X uh, when the drug is dosed in that particular way.
0: So, any other thoughts, Irini and Marla, on, on, on that point? Well, why don't I just jump to the next question, Paul? You yeah. you, you started to answer some of this, but I'm going to ask Irini to yeah. elaborate on you know, why are clinical trials important? Why don't uh, companies just invent uh, uh, drugs and put them on the market? <laughs>
2: That's a good question. Um, And I I do think Paul covered a lot of this um, in the prior question, but basically before a new medication for any condition, including Fragile X, can be made available, there has to be enough evidence that the medication is uh, safe and effective, and that's important. Those two points have to be met, um, safe and effective. And that's usually shown by well-designed, well-controlled, and carefully monitored studies Um, And we do those studies in healthy volunteers first, and then later on in patients, um, such as patients with Fragile X, who consent to participate in clinical trials. It's actually a core part of our drug development process, um, and also helps in uh, developing diagnostics.
0: Great. What what do you mean, uh, diagnostics? Could you just explain that term?
2: Uh, Diagnostics are um, tools that that we use to help um, determine whether someone has a particular condition, for example, Mm -hmm. um, or um, maybe if we know that they have the condition, more specifics about a subtype that they may have. So, with Fragile X, you know, does does someone with Fragile X have a full mutation or do they have um, a partial mutation or Mm -hmm. a mosaic? Okay. All right,
0: thanks. Well, Marla, um, Paul and Rainey have already talked about this a little bit, but I wonder if we could yeah. dig a little deeper into the issue about, why, uh, you know, how and why, uh, how do clinical trials contribute to the safety of new drugs? I mean, it, you know, it's not uncommon to pick up the newspaper and read about some, right. some drug that was not proven safe and being taken right. off the market.
3: Exactly right. So, um, yes, yes. Um, The question has been answered to some extent, but I'll I'll elaborate on that. Um, Clinical trials, as was already said, are key to really um, determining whether a product is not just effective but is safe, and that's what we care mostly about when we are um, looking at the um, looking at um, new medications in clinical trials. And as was also said clinical trials undergo a set of procedures or a very specific protocol that is strictly monitored and carefully evaluated to assess and look for the safety of the drug, specifically looking at whether there are adverse effects or adverse drug reactions or side effects, things like that, and we collect that information in a very uh, systematic and consistent uh, way. And all of the information that, that we collect and the protocol that we do, as is also said, has to be approved by a variety of different uh, boards, including um, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. And they have very strict rules um, that we have to follow to protect our patients and, and the people in the clinical trials, and we carefully follow those rules. And safety is one of those areas where um, we, we monitor very, very closely. And there are specific guidelines on how much safety we need to get on particular, um, for, uh, on drugs in particular diseases. And that's agreed upon. There are certain guidelines and other times is agreed upon with the FDA how much information we need. But, but um, regardless, uh, clinical trials really contribute to understanding how a drug works. Um, if a drug works, and very importantly, if the, the drug is safe and has a clear, what we call a risk-benefit profile for the product, that there may be side effects, but the, uh, the, 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 the benefits of the drug clearly outweigh any of the side effects. And again, the, the clinical trials really allow us to be able to determine this type of information for the best use of, of the medication for the patients. And for the Fragile X studies that we're all doing, understanding the safety profile and the adverse events that potentially can happen are going to be a very, very key part of all of the programs to make sure that the product is not just um, effective but that it's also safe. Um, And but prior to Prior to instituting the clinical trial and, and the uh, person or the patient or the participant agreeing to participate, um, again, not only does the FDA look at your protocol, so does a, 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 a review board to look at the safety. And also the patient is given information, which is called an informed consent form, so they're informed of the possibilities that may happen during the study as well.
0: So can I assume... That safety is also looked at before a human being ever takes the drug.
3: Oh, absolutely. Prior, that's a very good point. So prior to um, clinical trial, a trial ever being looked at into a human, and then ultimately into a patient, it's looked in. Um, it's looked at in animals. And so, as I think was mentioned, there are different phases of clinical trials, and throughout the earlier phases, we get a the, we get a very good idea as to the safety profile of the compound prior to it being used in in people, absolutely. And then once then we measure the safety of the compound in the actual person who has the condition. Okay.
0: Any uh, the other guests? Uh, any other comments on on the safety issue? Robbie, okay, is, go ahead, Paul.
1: Yeah, if I can um, just try to extend those a little bit. Marla's already given a really nice answer on on the safety question. Definitely, the, we all, all of the companies, all of the sponsors do do extensive safety testing uh, in in animals before any human is exposed. But of course, um, there's there's no absolute guarantee that what mm-hmm. we see in animals will will hold true also in people. And that is why, again, as Marla already explained, we do do so much. Safety monitoring uh, in the clinical trials, and uh, again, in this way, it's different than uh, what happens when a patient with fragile X gets an already approved drug. Let's say Ritalin. We know that in general, for exa- just as an example, uh, Ritalin does not have any safety risk for blood counts. So, in general, when somebody's on Ritalin, they don't have to get regular blood counts. But in the clinical trials, we're talking we're talking about potentially new medications, uh, which. Uh, we don't have so much experience with, we don't have so much data on, and so we really look uh, at a, a lot of different safety, possible safety concerns to make sure there's nothing happening there, and that's why mm-hmm. clinical trials will have regular blood draws, looking at the blood counts, looking at the liver function test. We'll always be measuring blood pressure and other vital signs, the pulse and the respiratory rate. We'll always be doing a physical exam, a lot of things that wouldn't happen in regular clinical care but really are important. As Marla and Ariane explained in the development of a new drug.
0: Hey, thanks, Paul. And, and since you're already speaking, I'm going to direct this next question to you, and, uh, and and ask you how clinical trials contribute to the usefulness of new drugs. I assume it's more uh, sophisticated than uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, works, doesn't work. <laughs> um, so, if you could go into that, and, and then if our other guests might add to your, your, your comments. Right. Um,
1: so, so the, the whole clinical trial process is designed to figure out exactly which patients in what kind of circumstances, what age range, what kind of dosing, uh, you know, with or without other medications on board, uh, what a drug is going to do, uh, and exactly how it's going to be useful. Mm-hmm. So... That, that's also an explanation for why some clinical trials, including a lot that are going on in Fragile X now, uh, will, will uh, perform a lot of different evaluations looking at potential benefits, not just looking at potential safety issues. Uh, a lot of uh, questionnaire filling out, a lot of talking uh, with the, the parents and with the child or adult child with Fragile X. Uh, doing various kinds of other assessments and evaluations uh, with the person who has Fragile X, really trying to define exactly how the drug is useful, exactly what it helps.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on that from the other guests? Okay. Well, if not, then I'm gonna direct the next question to Irini and, and ask you, Irini, what should I expect to be told about a trial Uh, And what should I not expect to be told? What's the norm?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, Most of the information that you would need to know about a clinical trial is actually shared in a process called informed consent, um, which Marla mentioned before. Um, When you decide that you might be interested in a particular trial, you'll first meet with people, let's say, in the research team. And they'll talk about the trial and provide written information about the trial that's called an informed consent form. They'll explain facts about the trial, such as why is the medication being studied in Fragile X, how long the study will last, required or alternative procedures, what could be potential benefits, and potential risks. Um, If the trial is blinded, um, or what we call double-blinded, This means that you would not know during the trial if you're taking an experimental medication or a matching placebo. Um, Matching placebo means basically an inactive substance or a sugar pill. Um, So so that's an example of something that you may not know during the trial. Um, Some other things that you might not know include results of certain tests um, that, that may be taken that uh, could influence how you feel about the trial, um, not, not in the sense of um, safety, but in, in the terms of um, what you might expect um, to get out of the trial. So, so those, are a couple, those are a couple things that you may not know. Um, but for the most part, all of the procedures, safety risks, um, how many visits you would need to attend, so those should all be described to you within the informed consent.
0: Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Irene. Marla, can I drop out of a trial at any time?
3: (laughs) Good question. (laughs) So, um, yes, you can drop out of a trial at any time. So in in any um, study that any um, person may um, enter and be part of, anyone can leave the study at any time, no matter what the reason. What's important to note, and this is really, it's not only an important question, but it's important though when, you, if you do want to drop out of a study, it's really important to tell uh, the person, the site that you're, that you're um, going to for, for the study, that you inform them that you're dropping out and why you're dropping out because it's very helpful for, the con- for continuing the, with the conduct of the study to be able to have that information. For, for the other people in the study and for us to be, get the best information out of the study. So again, yes, you can leave the study at any time, no matter what the reason, but it would be incredibly important and helpful if um, the person does inform and tell the investigator that they are dropping out and as to why.
0: And hopefully the, the researchers wouldn't be angry at me if I dropped out.
3: I don't think so especially if you tell them that you're dropping out. <laughs> oh, I'm going to direct this in. If oh, I can.
2: other comments? <laughs> yeah, if I can jump in. I think that last point that you brought up is, is a good one. Um, you know, at no point in time should you feel that right. dropping out of a study would change the, the way that your personal doctor would treat you or, mm-hmm. um, you know, decrease your, your likelihood to get um, another medication. That might benefit you. Um, so, so if you do decide to drop out, there there shouldn't be any fear of any kind of repercussion from it.
0: Um. Thanks. Uh, that's helpful. I appreciate yeah. elaborating on that.
3: Right, because like you said, I, I, you know, I, I agree. I do think that's imp- a very important point. Because as you said earlier, or I think Paul said earlier, that some of the um, investigators or the people who are are conducting the study may be the same physicians that the person is seeing. So it is very important to know that that should not at all interfere with continuing to see them as, you know, patient physician outside of the study. So, yeah, I think that's very important.
1: The only thing uh, I I would add, Irina and Marla have have covered this very nicely, is the last thing that Marla said is very important. If you do want to drop out of the study, uh, then we definitely, definitely you should tell the physician who's running the study that you want to drop out, uh, as opposed to like just dropping out and not telling them. And the reason to tell them is that de- depending on the drug, depending on the protocol, there may be other safety tests that really should be performed after you drop out to make sure that there weren't side effects uh, that might be there hiding that haven't been recognized yet. Uh, so yes, uh, There there are no repercussions for you, but do please tell uh, the the physician, the site where the study is going on, that you are planning to drop out.
0: Paul, this this next question might be a little trickier to answer because it may differ uh, from study to study, but let's try Mm -hmm. to answer it in general. You know, what if my child is on other medications? Anything from, uh, you mentioned Ritalin earlier, or even antihistamines, or a drug that's, uh, you know, was designed to treat uh, symptoms of Fragile X. Is there a standard, yes or no, you can't, you can continue to take those drugs? And, and how do those decisions get arrived at?
1: Right. So there, there is no single answer. It really depends on the specific clinical trial um, and what the, the sponsor in conversations with the FDA uh, and potentially with conversations in conversations with the European Medicines Authority, uh, what they have decided needs to be done uh, to to do a good study, to do a good test of the drug's safety and efficacy. So it really depends. Uh, and the, if anybody has any questions about that at all, they should direct it uh, to the the physician where they're thinking of uh, enrolling in the study, and they'll be able to answer based on. Uh, Exactly how the protocol is written. I will say that um, in in general, the the approach that FDA and the European authority take is, of course, if if all things were equal, if they had their druthers, they would prefer that every patient in the study was on nothing except for the study medication. That way they know for sure if there's a side effect it's due to the study medication, it's not due to something else. They would know for sure if the person improves uh, that it's not Mm -hmm. due to something else. Um, But we recognize, and the FDA, I think, does understand, uh, that patients with Fragile X syndrome uh, are often on many other medications, or at least one, sometimes more than one, that they really do need. Uh, And the experts on Fragile X, the people who have the greatest clinical experience, Dr. Uh, Rondi Hagerman, Dr. Liz berry Crafus and others, have conveyed that to the FDA and so they do understand that, um, and so there's no blanket rule that patients have to be off of all other medications, and uh, in general, uh, it is allowed that some medications uh, be, be, some other medications be taken, and uh, you just need to check uh, on each protocol with the doctors who are running the protocol. Yeah.
2: If I could add um, just one, one piece of it. I think I think that... Um, was a very, very good summary, but something else just uh, came to mind, and that's, you know, during a study, um, you know, there may be situations where you'd want to take a new medication, and I I just wanted to share that that should be done only when talking to the research physician because there may be some specific requirements in the protocol for the study that you're participating in where you're not allowed to start a new medication. Let's say if you have a headache and you want to take you know, a Tylenol or, you know, there's um, a new vitamin or something that you'd like to take. It's very important that any medications that you were on previously or that you'd like to start, you explain to the the trial physician so that they can tell you whether or not you can take it during the study. Mm -hmm. And that's really to protect your safety. Right. So I was, yeah, I was
3: going to add to that as well. So, um, Thanks for, for that in terms of it, cause it, it, for, for taking new medications because it is important that, you know, some people may start taking over-the-counter medications or nutraceuticals and things like that, not recognizing that they are medications and um, things that you need to discuss with your, um, with your uh, site where you're ha- having uh, your study conducted to make sure that they know about any of these things that you're taking, even if you don't recognize them as being important or a new medication. The other thing that's also important, I think, um, is that when you're already, if you're on a medication that is allowed during the study, if you want to change the dose of that study or stop it or do anything with the medication that you're currently on, that it's very important before you do so that you speak with your um, with, the, with your um, physician as well. So so they're informed um, of what you're going to be doing with, with your medication as well.
0: Very, very helpful. Irini, I think this next question might be just as tricky, and I hope all of you will weigh in. But I wanted to know, and I know a lot of families like to know, can, can their child stay on the trial drug when the trial ends? And if not, why not?
2: Yeah, I think this is another situation where um, it sort of depends on the study medication. Um, There are some guidelines that pharmaceutical companies need to follow to make sure that the safety information especially supports keeping patients on the study drug for longer periods of time. Um, So if there is enough information on safety and how well the drug works, the study may have what we call an extension to allow treatment with the study drug after the the main study ends, but again, it, it depends on the on the drug. Okay.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then, um, Marla, I'm going to direct this next question to you. Okay. Um, and again, I hope everybody will will have something to say about this. But when the trial mm-hmm. ends, mm-hmm. should should a parent expect to be contacted about the results, or, or is yeah. it really up to them? Mm -hmm. to to find out.
3: Yeah, so I think this is a very important and interesting question, and I'm glad it's it's asked, because it's not maybe something that we always think about um, with the uh, patients or or the investigators. But um, the investigators um, at at the site where the patient is going um, could be the ones, usually are the ones that could um, discuss the results um, with, the, with the patient or their family once the, the study is complete fi- and the results are finalized and, and, and approved by um, the sponsor. The, this usually is, uh, is discussed, though, between the, the patients and or their families with the investigators um, during the study that they, they would like the results. And then um, the investigator can share, share the results with them. once um, he's he's allowed to, and he could share with them, you know, um, the overall data or even um, patient-specific data. What's important, though, is that the data is only shared when the study is complete and if the individual is no longer participating in any other part of the program that could bias. their participation, let's say. So it is something to discuss um, with with the investigator, especially um, if you would like to to know the results uh, of the study at the end. Thanks. Thank you, Thank you.
1: Uh, Robbie. I think uh, yeah. Mar- Marla's explanation was was very nice, and it's making me think of something that I should have said earlier <laughs> when you <laughs> asked me about how studies, how trials contribute to understanding the usefulness of the drug, and we've mm. touched on this, and it's the use of placebo. Mm. Um, and, and of course, not a, a lot of the clinical trials going on uh, in patient, for, for patients with Fragile X or other clinical trials also use placebo. Not all of them, uh, but many of them do. Um, and uh, depending well, on how uh, the trial-
0: uh Arini Ar, Ar, mentioned what a placebo was. I think it was Arini earlier, but will you, again, just define the term?
1: Yeah, a placebo is basically an inactive pill, oftentimes called or it may actually be a sugar pill, something that we, we understand uh, is not really going to help somebody and is not really going to harm anybody either. Um, so a lot of trials, uh, but again, not all of them, do use placebos. Uh, and depending on the trial, some people will get placebo, others will get the real active drug. Uh, in other trials, uh, people will get one followed by the other. So some people would say get the active drug first and then the placebo. Other people would start on the placebo and then get the active drug. Uh, but they would be blinded, or, and that's a term that Irina used earlier too, in that nobody knows actually. The physician doesn't know, the patient doesn't know, the parent doesn't know, the company doesn't know either when they're getting placebo and if they're getting, if any particular patient is getting placebo until the very end of the trial as, as Marla described. And the reason placebo is important is that it really helps us uh, understand whether a drug truly is causing some sort of benefit or safety concern. Uh, And and the reason it's necessary is that we know, of course, that the symptoms, uh, the behavior, say, of somebody with Fragile X or of any patient of any condition can vary from day to day, from week to week or from month to month. Children, of course, with Fragile X or adults with Fragile X, they, they do progress in their development, sometimes more quickly and sometimes more slowly. So if everybody got the active drug and uh, some people got better, we wouldn't know for sure whether that's because of drugs or whether it's just because of normal development or the usual week-to-week, month-to-month variation. And that's why so many trials do use placebo. So I thought
0: that was very interesting uh, point, and... and and Paul, you, you you emphasize that not only does the patient not know, or the parents, the physician, the researcher, and the company doesn't know. Now, clearly, somebody knows, but they're they're not the people who are evaluating the effectiveness. Is that is that a fair statement?
1: That's exactly right. Usually, you know, the the placebo pills and uh, the active drug pills are made to look identical uh, and locked up. You know, in a very secure computer or a very secure um, storage cabinet is a code, um, which is used to assign people either to active drug or placebo, and usually it's actually only the pharmacist who knows for sure, but of course, that's somebody um, who was not involved at all in the evaluation uh, of the patients in the trial.
0: Well, this has been really, really informative. I have to say I understand clinical trials at a much deeper level than I did at the beginning of this call. So I want to thank you very much, and I know that the Fragile X community of of families and professionals will thank you for this. And before we conclude the the call, I wanted to ask each of you in turn, starting with Irini, how our listeners can learn more about your company's specific trial or trials?
2: Um, Well, there's there's a couple different websites. Um, The clinicaltrials.gov lists trials uh, for all companies, and you can um, enter in the the search term Roche, and it'll come up that way. Or, um, more directly, you could go to our own company site, which is um, www.Roche-Trials, Okay.
0: All right. And uh, Marla?
2: Yes.
3: Um, I would say the best way to learn about our uh, clinical trials is also um, clinicaltrials.gov. And then um, look if, if it's looking for a specific investigator sites, they can call an investigator site to learn more about a particular study, and again, they can search either Novartis or they can search the, the, the condition that they are interested in. They can also get some information about the um, condition or product on the um, Novartis uh, website, which is www.novartis.com as well, but I think the best place would be uh, clinicaltrials.gov as well. Okay. And Paul?
1: Same here, Robbie. clinicaltrials.gov, that's G-O-V, um, and of course you can just search for Fragile X and all the studies on Fragile X will come up there. Um, and as we talked about earlier, it will also bring up studies that don't involve medications but also studies potentially involving uh, behavioral interventions or, or other, uh, other studies involving patients. Uh, for the seaside studies, we also do have our, our own website, and that's Harbor Trial harbortria
0: Okay, and I will add that the foundation, National Fragile X Foundation, is uh, working with all three companies to also provide uh, clinical trials information at www.fragilex.org under the research menu item, Opportunities for Families, Ongoing Clinical Trials for Fragile X and we'll continue to try and keep that site as current as possible. So with that, I'd like to thank Dr. Paul Wong, Dr. Irini Wasif, and Dr. Marla Hochfeld for taking this time today, uh, educating us all about clinical trials. I appreciate uh, the work that all of you are doing and that your companies are doing, and uh, we hope to be talking to you again in the not-too-distant future. So with that, we conclude today's webinar on Clinical Trials 101. Robbie, thanks very much. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Robbie.